NWP Radio. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. Welcome listeners, this is NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. Today is July 26, and tonight we're talking with teachers and writers from the Southeastern Louisiana Writing Project about the rich, deep history of writing marathons and about a new publication featuring writing developed through a writing marathon. I'm your host, Tanya Baker. Tonight we're pleased to invite a number of people who I'd like to have introduce themselves to us. Richard, would you like to get us started? Uh, my name is Richard Luth. I'm the director of the Southeastern Louisiana Writing Project. I am the founder of the original New Orleans Writing Marathon, which is being done at sites across the country. Uh, I will let the others in the room introduce themselves. Perfect. Hi there, I'm Cunningham. Um, I am a co-director of the Southeastern Louisiana Writing Project and co-director of the New Orleans Writing Marathon. Hi everyone, this is Susan Martins. I'm the director of the Prairie Lands Writing Project in St. Joseph, Missouri, and I'm here at my fifth writing marathon retreat uh, and have been studying writing marathons for about 10 years. My name is Michelle Russo. I am the co-director of the Southeastern Louisiana Writing Project and an English teacher. My name is Kimberly Stewart from New Orleans. Uh, I am also an English teacher who has led marathons in my classroom. I'm Jack Bedell. I'm the editor of Louisiana Literature, and I'm currently serving as Louisiana Poet Laureate, State of Louisiana. I'm Marley Stewart, an assistant editor of Louisiana Literature, I'm and a happy participant of the New Orleans uh, Writing Marathon. Thank you, guys. That's fantastic. Uh, we around the country who love and celebrate writing marathons, and listeners who've never heard of a writing marathon, are so thankful for you all to give us an hour of your time today to talk about the writing marathon in general and about the one you're on in the specific and about the work you do related to writing marathons in all sorts of places. So thank you so much. Richard, I was trying to remember what year I met you. I'm pretty sure that I actually met you um, in, uh, in Europe somewhere for, for an NCTE conference and you were doing a writing marathon. Uh, but I do know ever since I've ever met you that your name and writing marathons have been um, married. So it seems like a good place to start by you telling us a little bit about what a writing marathon is. Sure. Uh, the writing marathon actually began here in New Orleans, 1993, when I was asked to do a writing workshop and looked at the faces of the people in the room, looked at the weather outside, which was perfect <laughs> February, and realized none of them really wanted to be there because they, are, they were teachers, they'd had a hard week. And I eventually said, how would you like to just take this workshop idea outside? and go to places and write with each other. And that actually a serendipitous moment is how it was born. And it grew year after year and eventually became uh, something that was integral to our writing uh, project Summer Institute. And then it grew in a new way into something that we use for advanced institutes for teachers to come together and write together. It eventually morphed into something which the National Writing Project adapted and adopted. And um, now we are doing uh, five-day summer writing marathons for our own teachers of writing, teachers from across the country, and actually writers from New Orleans. So the, the brief history is um, it's been a, a, a writing project kind of activity. Um, the idea behind it originally came from Natalie Goldberg, who wrote uh, writing Down the Bones, and in there she talks about a writing marathon, which essentially is a group of people sitting around a table, writing, reading their work to each other, saying thank you, giving no criticism, and writing again, and doing it again, and again. We took that concept uh, from Natalie Goldberg and brought it to the streets of New Orleans, where we were able to integrate moving from place to place, um, bringing in a sense of the, the food and the culture and how it affected us as writers. There's only really one kind of rule in the uh, uh, writing marathon, and that is when groups work together, 
they agree to write, they agree to read their work with no criticism, uh, and in the New Orleans model, they then agree to socialize, to talk, have something to eat and drink, and then move on. Uh, some of them last a day. The current one we're on today is the fourth of five days of writing marathons, but that in a nutshell is, is what it's about, and it's taken many different kinds of forms in classrooms across the country um, and at writing project sites across the country. Lovely. Um, Richard, in the, um, in the Louisiana Literature Journal, uh, in, the, in the big section about the writing marathon, uh, you sort of open with this question, what happens if you invite 50 writers from across the nation to come to the French Quarter to write in good company? Who will come and why? What will they write? How will they affect each other? How will they experience? How will the experience itself look on paper? So you've given us uh, both a history and an overview, but I wonder if any of those questions, given that you're right in the middle of a marathon, spark anything that you'd want to say about the lived experience before we talk to teachers about the teacherly lived experience. Sure, and I'll, I'll invite the others at the table to. Uh, join in as well in this, but you know, what happens is unpredictable. Um, uh, it, that's the interesting uh, part of it. Um, we all know that we're going to write and we all know that we're going to be with someone, but often we don't know who's going to be in our group or where we're going to go. So this kind of an unpredictability to what is going to happen. In the best case scenarios, what happens is a lot of writing, uh, a lot of um, community building within the small groups that go out and write together. People who are strangers to each other by the end of the day often are close friends. And a larger kind of community building happens because all of these people who are spread out, in our case, over a few miles, um, are all connected because we're all writing, we're all in these places. Uh, the city uh, impacts us and we impact the city. So um, in what's going on today, uh, everybody's experience is different in so many ways, but essentially, best case scenario, it's the same. There's this joy in writing and being with writers and being able to hear what they say, be inspired what they say, with what they say, and inspire them as well. But do the others of you want to say a little bit about this, what happens? Um, I'll say a little bit about it, this is Tracy. Um, one thing I think that, that works so well is that there is an unpredictability about where you're going to go, what you're going to see, um, what sort of interactions you might have with the atmosphere, the environment of New Orleans, the people of New Orleans. But, but what doesn't change and what creates a safety structure for all of this to happen is that we have a model that we follow, a protocol that we repeat almost daily of, of how work so that there is writing, that there is structure, that there is, um, you know, no criticism after people read their pieces, that there are little read-arounds. Um, they just simply say thank you. We make sure that before we head out for the day that everyone says to someone sitting near them, I am a writer, so that mm -hmm. as they're leaving the big group every day, they remember their purpose for being here. And, um, you know, we give them permission to sort of enforce this protocol and that if there's somebody at their group who's a real talker and is distracting from the writing, they feel free to say, okay, let's get back to our writing now and let's do another round of writing. So I think by providing that, that really simple, elegant structure and protocol, it creates uh, a very safe environment for people to get the writing done and, and feel like real writers taking in the city and producing page after page of good writing. Would anyone else like to join in? This is Michelle. I'd like to add that with that unpredictability, I always go back to um, what I call the magic of the marathon. Because so often that lack of knowledge or, or that um, we don't know where we're going or who we're going with, or even with focus, that something happens and, and it's nothing short of magical because we're together and we're a community. This is Marley. And just to add to that, uh, 
I think part of that magic is a synchronicity that can happen um, among pieces that are shared where themes emerge um, and we don't really plan for it, but one piece of writing that is read aloud leads to another writer writing something um, in line with that. So it's generative and there's a call and response that, that is really magical. This is Susan. Uh, I would say one of the things I've grown to appreciate is the element of risk and trust. And when I listened to Richard tell the story about that first marathon in 1993, he allowed writers to take a risk and he trusted that they would embrace the identity as writers. He trusted the city. He trusted the um, inspiration they would provide each other. And I think it does put you outside of your comfort zone a bit. And that is very important because otherwise we would just sit at our desks in our homes writing. And uh, this is what pushes us to better writing, better experiences. Kimberly, um, what Stephen said about the writing marathon taking you out of your comfort zone is totally right. It jolts you out of your comfort zone. Um, you're asked to free write with people you may have never written with before in places you've never been. And so um, then you're asked to share what you've just created with, without any time for revision. So the first time I did this, what this allotted for me was a chance to be okay with the process of writing and not just the product. People weren't um, critiquing my work or asking me to clarify details, so it was incredibly freeing. It was also very validating. People were listening to my words, um, and they were thanking me for it. I want to make sure that it comes out that uh, Jack Fidel, our uh, editor of Louisiana Literature and Poet Laureate, uh, has participated in uh, writing marathons himself, and uh, I think because he saw what happens, which I'd like him to talk about a little bit, I, I think that's made our bond closer. Jack, can you talk about it? There's, there's no doubt about it. The, the thing that attracted me initially to the marathon was the permission every writer gave to their partners in the act of writing to, to experiment, to investigate new avenues, to grab a hold of emerging themes, like Molly said to try new techniques, to see if they could somehow push through boundaries they might be carrying around in their daily lives. And there's an energy to that that I could never recreate in my own study or in a library somewhere or even sitting next to a really nice uh, landscape. It's something that only happened to me in the company of these writers. And I, I felt privileged to be invited in, and once again, I took all advantage of it, and I can't imagine writing outside of an environment with that kind of energy and that kind of community. And just the, the, the juice that we get from each other, the, the writing power we get from each other, mm -hmm. is it's, it's irreplaceable and it's as unique as unique can be. Thank you, everybody. That was a fantastic. I, I, a lot of times we tell people, like the logistics or what happens, but it's really great to hear you each speak about something that's powerful about it to you or something like some kind of embodied practice that leads to some sort of outcome. So I really appreciate that uh, pastiche, I guess, the, that uh, multi-voiced picture of the writing marathon. Um, I would like, because much of our audience um, are, is made up of writing teachers. Um, I would love to um, step back from the marathon for a minute to talk about the impact for teachers. And I thought it'd be great to introduce this section with, a, with just a tiny excerpt from Louisiana Literature Journal um, from a piece by Ari Zieger that starts <clears throat> with these sentences. I ain't that crazy about writers and I ain't that crazy about teachers. But if you put the two together, I'm in love. So let me testify. My name is Ari Zieger, and I'm in love with writing teachers. It goes on uh, from there, but I, I felt like that, um, the way that you could borrow from each other, when I saw those words on paper, I'm like, oh, wait, that's, that's what I want to say. That's no offense, Jack. I know you're the poet laureate of your state, but... Um, but my particular love also is uh, writing teachers. And um, he goes on to describe this sort of dual uh, vision that happens when you write with writing teachers, that they're like 
in the writing and then they have this other eye on how could I share this with other people, particularly young people. So I would love to talk to some teachers in the group about uh, that experience, about um, how being a writer, embodying the experience of being a writer in this particular way, in the writing marathon way of all the things that you've talked about, how you bring that forward or what that gives to you to bring forward into um, the teaching of writing with young people. And I can't see you all, but Richard, you can, so you might want to uh, yeah. point somebody to get us started. I've just pointed to Kimberly. <laughs> Perfect. Well, um, bringing the writing marathon into my classroom has afforded us several opportunities. Uh, first, it's allowed my students the chance to mess up, to not be perfect all the time with something as quote-unquote scary as writing, mm -hmm. uh, and to be okay with sharing pieces of themselves with their peers. It creates camaraderie and unity within the classroom. Several times I've heard students say, say as we were reading a text, hey, so-and-so, uh, that reminds me of the thing that um, you wrote the other day about the locker room, or I remember you using that word in your writing. And so they build these bonds together and they celebrate each other in all of these little ways. Uh, it's also helped me in my teaching of formal writing. When I focus on the process of writing and encourage the act of writing the way the marathon does, it not only made my students writing stronger because they were doing it more, um, but it gave them the stamina for something like an argumentative essay. So when it came time for the drafts and revisions that it required in formal writing, they were okay with it because they knew it was just part of the process. You know, my students and I talk a lot about how writing is a sacred act because you are creating something that wasn't in the world when you woke up that morning, and the writing marathon really gave us that idea. Uh, so um, in the spring, in April, uh, I brought 35 students to New Orleans for a writing marathon. These are 35 eighth graders. And so we uh, were in the quarter from about 8 a.m. to 1.45 p.m. and went to four different places. And a lot of front-loading went into this. You know, we started with writing in the classroom every school day, and I wrote with them, and it was a 10-minute block. Uh, and then from there, we moved into working with small groups. And so they went from writing and then sharing in small groups. And then we moved outside of the classroom. So we would write on the ground around campus in the school cafeteria in the kitchen. So all of that kind of built up to this day where we could then go around the quarter and write in the world. Uh, and so what that did for my students was it gave them a chance to be in the world as writers, to kind of find a voice. Uh, in a way that maybe they hadn't before. And all of them, when we came back, all of them wanted to share. I hadn't planned on it, but we had this huge reflection uh, of almost uh, 45 minutes to an hour where they all just wanted to share their experience. Michelle, how about you? Well, during the writing project, one of the things that Richard said to me early on in the Summer Institute was that um, if you if we think about it, would we want our students to be taught writing by teachers who don't write? And um, the answer, of course, is absolutely not. And while the writing project afforded me multiple opportunities to be a writer, the writing marathon forced me to say I am a writer. And it mm -hmm. created um, publication opportunities. And what I found over and over again is that coming on a writing marathon sometimes starts with a search for identity. So my eighth and ninth graders needed that. They needed to figure out who they were. And, and even in my writing as an adult, I saw that it was something that I wanted to give them. And in addition to that search for identity, it becomes a place for self-discovery on that page. They, they, they see themselves over and over again, and they have a chance to be honest with themselves and with their peers, there's, there's that risk and that vulnerability that Susan was talking about. And ultimately, the most important thing, the thing that you hear from all of us is that it builds confidence. There's a, um, a sense of, of ability that, that we have because there's no judgment. And you've done it with your students in small towns. I, I have. Um, of course, we... I'm glad Kimmy talked about front-loading and mentioned how building it on campus is, is sort of central because 
when you think about casting a bunch of children into the streets of a town, <laughs> you need to, uh, there are some concerns logistically, administratively, parents are a little worried, but um, I spoke to the Chamber of Commerce in um, a town near where my school is, and they contacted the businesses. They knew that we would be coming. We had such a great experience. This a place that the kids called home. They had an opportunity to see through different lenses because they were writers. And um, I think that the connection to writing from the connection to the classroom, it's it, it's so it's a lot simpler than, than a lot of people think. I mean, if you don't want to take the kids to New Orleans or to a small town, we can read the Canterbury Tales and go on a pilgrimage. Mm. And we can make connections to, to literature. It's so easy to, to lead, take the marathon and lead it to something much bigger. When Kimberly and I were talking just the other night about her amazing marathon in the spring, I mentioned um, the videos and the promotional videos I got my students to do post-marathon to sell the marathon to my administration so that it can continue to happen. So from creative writing, we were able to get some persuasive writing and, you know, mixed media. But with that focus on literature, I know that Marley has done some um, fiction stuff and some literary stuff with some great ideas that he was sharing with us. Well, so the past four years, we've tried um, to introduce a sense of focus near the end of the marathon um, to hone the writing in genre. Um, and I did some that were guided toward maybe nonfiction or memoir pieces. And recently, that's moved toward writing fiction. Um, and it's been a real challenge to create prompts that don't mess up the unpredictability of the marathon. Um, and what I could say about that is uh, less is more and keep it simple. Uh, this year, I, I read passages uh, from Haruki Murakami, Uchiha Berlin, and Danielle Mwinudin, uh just great examples of openings of short stories um, and novels. And then we just wrote in response to it. Um, and I chose that time in my writing to, to sort of write about the craft of the piece and then to launch into a piece of fiction rather than uh, introduce the piece and talk about why it's good. Mm. Um, and let the writers themselves discover what they like about it uh, and then go from there. So um, as a prompt uh, in guiding these less is more, um, uh, with with these focus marathons. Susan, do you want to? Yeah, uh, I would like to say this is Susan. Um, I've used writing marathons for lots of different purposes, and the teacher consultants at Fairylands Writing Project use them uh, kindergarten through 12th grade. At our university, Missouri Western State University, uh, we've begun using writing marathons for various purposes with uh, our college composition students. And one thing we've been starting to use them for is to teach persuasive writing and to teach audience and context. Uh, one technique I'm exploring has to do with inviting students to explore and recommend different spots on campus mm. uh, for uh, studying or spots for group work or spots for, you know, for college students napping uh, or <laughs> just having a snack or a quiet time. But because our campus has lots of non-traditional students and first-generation college students, uh, it's a great way for freshmen to learn about the space and then to become experts in different spots. And then they persuade their classmates that they should explore these spots, and they write up recommendations. And then other students can take those recommendations and do what we call ground-truthing which is uh, a term I'm borrowing from Terry Tempest Williams, who uses it in the open space of democracy. And it has to do with finding out for yourself if what mm. you've heard or read is actually true. And so students take the recommendation forms, they go out on campus, they find the spot that other students have recommended, and they sit down and write there. Uh, I think the technique would easily work uh, in high schools and middle schools and elementary schools, too, to sort of showcase different spots around the school or community. And, um, you know, persuasive writing can be tough to teach 
But if you can use something like the Writing Marathon to do it, I think that is a fantastic merger of, of goals. Thank you. Lovely. Richard, it just must give you goosebumps to see the, the multiple ways and places and the reach of this thing since 1993. It, it, it does. And I... I can't help thinking that it could never, ever, ever have happened without the National Writing Project in two respects. One is Jim Gray's original model for the Writing Project. And by the way, Jim Gray was at the very first meeting where a writing marathon was done in 1993. He was the guest speaker at that <laughs> festival. Um, but his concept of the National Writing Project model of, allow, of having trust, asking for teachers to take risks, but having a pretty clear model underlying it that all the teachers in the institutes in that day you know, were expected to be writers, to work in writing groups, and to demonstrate their craft. Uh, he taught me that kind of combination of what Alfred North Whitehead says is the center of the rhythm of learning, and that is you must have that uh, ferment that comes with the opportunity for discovery and spontaneity, but you must have discipline as well. And I think the protocol that we follow from Natalie Goldberg, that's the discipline that allows the ferment to happen. And that's why you see so many different versions across the country that work, uh, because they keep these two kinds of things in mind. Yeah, I think that's right, Richard. I mean, people in the last few years have been writing a lot about generative structures, and I just keep thinking about how the, the writing project itself and the writing marathon are based on this generative, you know, our examples of really powerfully generative structures. And like many good ideas that we have seen grow up in the writing project, the, 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 the discipline and opportunity of the, of, the, of the structures make space for people like yourself and, and many of our colleagues to build new uh, structures that um, do amazing things. And this writing marathon is one of our favorite examples. Um, I often, I, I, once a year, I see Richard is like, at least once a year, I see he's um, inviting people to New Orleans for a writing marathon. Uh, other people in the network, in the National Writing Project Network will talk to me about marathons. There's all sorts of reasons for me occasionally to call Richard and say, I think we should have another national conversation. We should have another radio show. We should have another something to to talk about writing marathons. And the impetus this time was that I received in my mailbox a, a edition of Louisiana Literature, which was based on the writing marathon. And I was so excited. I was so excited about the journal and um, that it put this uh, generative structure of the writing marathon right back in in on my plate again, right in front of my face again. And uh, but uh, my first question when I reached out to Richard was like, how'd that happen? So I think maybe Tracy and Jack, the two of you could talk to us a little bit about how this connection between the marathon and then um, this publication came to be. Uh, sure. Um, you know, writing projects have their common structures across the country, but each one sort of has its own identity and mythology. And for SLWP, the New Orleans Writing Marathon is really our center of gravity. It's, it's one of our favorite things that we do. And it, it just, you know, besides that magic that we talk about, it has some basic elements that are very attractive to teachers and to uh, other writers. Um, instant community, um, time just strictly devoted to writing for days on end. Um, an opportunity for almost instant publication at the read-arounds each day. And then we also provided, um, by recording the read-arounds um, and working with KSLU to develop the, the writing uh, marathon radio shows, and then we began to work with Jack, uh, with La Lit, to create these pieces in the anthology. It just, it just became such an attractive thing 
And when I retired from teaching after 25 years, I began uh, a, an event planning career. And so I had dinner with, with Richard at Galatoire's one night and pitched him the idea of the five-day retreat. And we put it out into the world. We built a website for it. We invited people and hoped that they would come. We were afraid that they wouldn't. <laughs> and we had 60 participants the very first summer. Um, and, you know, the, the structure that we have works. People continue to come summer after summer. And we have developed this model now of you, you come, you write, you build your community, you submit your pieces, you get recorded at the reader round, and it's addictive. We have people who have come every single year since we began doing this five-day retreat to partake in this, and they love seeing their pieces in print, hearing themselves on the radio show, and just being part of this community. If I could make a segue towards mm -hmm. Jack, the um, writing marathon, when originally conceived, was simply to celebrate the writer and spontaneously write. Uh, what I'm trying to say is there was nothing about publication originally. It was the whole idea was here's your chance to write, to allow others to hear your work. You're publishing in a sense by reading to others. But um, in a way, it was uh, designed uh, to just evaporate when the day was done or the five days were done. But it just seemed like there was so much good writing happening mm -hmm. that um, we said others outside of this group this day, this week, will want to read this. And that's when we set up a relationship both with our radio station at the university and with uh, Jack Bedell in Louisiana Literature. And Jack has now uh, been the editor of four of our collections. I'd like to turn it over to him and let, let him say some things about this. It's, it's been wonderful having those anthologies. I would have had eight if I could have. Uh, you know, there, there can't be enough opportunity to showcase the community of writers and the energy of this writing. You know, my first interaction with the, with the marathon, Richard invited me down just kind of as a social visit because I knew so many people there. And I came in, said hello for a, a few minutes, and left very proud that those teachers were there doing that. But since I didn't write with the group, it wasn't. The, it wasn't the experience I now know it to be for me. And then maybe a year later or two years later, he invited me again. I came down and spent a day writing and left with the biggest Jones for the marathon anyone could ever have. <laughs> and from that moment on, I started kind of the germ of, of uh, how could I package, how, how could I have a package of this I could keep around with me? And, you know, the idea of including it in the magazine was really out of necessity for me as an editor. I've edited Louisiana literature for 20 years now, and I'm very proud of the contents of the journal. But any way I spin it, I can't spin it away from the fact that each poem and each story is an individual moment of brilliance. It's not a community, and it's not a family just because it's under one cover. Mm. The anthology that Richard produces and puts together and carefully curates it is a capture of the family this marathon becomes every single summer. And I approached him to, to include an anthology of marathon writing, mainly because it was an opportunity for me to capture the energy and the honor and the commitment and the trust and all the things these wonderful writers around this table have been talking about and use it in my magazine to help my magazine become a community. And over the last eight years, it's really, really been my favorite part of the journal. And I hope the relationship continues uh, until I'm no longer running the boat and beyond. Thank you. That's so lovely. Um, Richard, do you have um, copies of the journal in front yes. of you? Yes, we do. Uh, I wonder, I, I um, read the marathon piece when I got the um, journal. I, so I know that um, if not all of you, certainly most of your voices are captured in this. Uh, I wonder if you, if we want to spend a few minutes um, highlighting a couple of pieces, maybe having a couple of writers read some excerpts and we could all just in writing um, marathon fashion, give a thank you after each reader. Yes. Um, uh, Marley, would you like to start by reading a piece? Sure. It's called Lanterns, and I wrote it for Jack. 
Ah. Last year, we sat again by the pool for hours, a bottle of whiskey between them. I thought we would only stay a minute, be polite, then excuse ourselves for bed. After dinner, we were too tired to dance, and we walked past the band on the street that did its best to call us. But around the table with the whiskey bottle, a howitzer casing in the middle, something happened, and we got our second win. The pool glowed as if lit by a blue fire, a square chunk of sky, and our friends' heads bobbed like fishing forks in a circle there, too, talking and laughing. The bottle was too big for us to see each other's faces, and we moved from the table, but still it emptied slowly, the amber level sinking. But it was not the whiskey that held us past the point where I thought we'd be in bed. It was not the pool either, though each time one of us jumped in and drifted through blue water and climbed out to rejoin the table, it certainly helped the night wind kissing our skin. The wind was part of it, descending from the sky, ruffling our hair. The wind may have done more than we thought. Like we each were a vessel of low-burning fire, the wind roughed up into true flames, bright orange and hot among black logs like bones, our ribs. We were each a vessel of fire lanterns around a table and bobbing in blue water. The night simmered and we glowed from within. Don't tell me it isn't true. I saw it in your eyes. Mm. Thank you. Michelle? This piece is called My New Orleans Writing Marathon Saint. The beauty of good company, writers, parents, spouses, siblings, teachers, comedians, Spiritual guides, bitches, and saints, all of us. These people are my saints. Often, I pray for moments like these, feel guilt for almost missing it. I didn't today. Our writing feast day. We are one another's patrons. Through pain and hope, sorrow and faith, anger and joy, Insecurities encourage flaws and wisdom. All that they are, all that I am, converge on these pages. We are blessings. These moments over these drinks, I pray to and for them. Thank God for their intercession. In bearing our stories, we bear our souls. In splendor, become holy virtuous defenders of the faith we have found in each other. Thank you. And Tracy. This is called Walk Over the Table. I'm with Kim, Randy, and Richard at the croissant door, and Kim has brought me a hot tea and an almond croissant. She stood in line for it so I could sit down, which was the greatest gift I could receive this fine morning. The cinnamon from Randy's coffee is tickling my nose. Richard checks his watch before he puts his pen to the page. A child behind me babbles and screeches, but I don't mind it. The place is crawling with writers, and the air is heady with words. Kim also brings us an apple croissant for the table, and he slices it up for us to share, even though we each have our own food. So I tell them about waffle for the table, what has become a tradition among my family and friends in New Orleans, and one that Kim has instinctively embraced. When I have company, and when you live in New Orleans, you have lots of company, I usually include brunch in our plans. Brunch in New Orleans is a high art. You can't just add mimosas to breakfast, serve it at 11 a.m., and call it brunch. You have to have egg dishes with creamed spinach or lump crab meat. You have to be practiced in the delicate and heartbreaking art of poaching eggs. You must have studied the pastry art so you can offer perfect biscuits because we will judge you on your biscuits. And you must know exactly what kind of bread makes the best French toast. And we'll expect you to stuff it with cream cheese and make a pecan praline sauce to go on top. We don't just want bacon, we want praline bacon. And we want grits with barbecued shrimp, which are actually not barbecued, so deal with that. And we want a meat and gravy concoction called griot. You may have to look that up. We want savory and sweet, rich and spicy, with Bloody Marys and bottomless mimosas. And so that everyone at the table gets everything they desire, we will order last. After we've heard everyone else's order, 
And if we think someone is compromised, maybe order the egg stardew and the crawling bacon and the biscuits with the andouille gravy, then we'll finish our order with, and a waffle for the table. <laughs> we know that you were torn between the sweet and the savory, and you chose savory, so we'll make sure you get the sweet. We know you're sometimes surprised at the way we offer to share food with you or just place some of our food on the edge of your plate uninvited. We know you wanted to try the banana foster French toast, but the oysters Rockefeller eggs Benedict was calling your name. Here, have a bite of mine. I remember being in Folsom, California in the spring of 2005 with Richard Luke, George Dorrell, and Jeff Lemelt for the NWP Rural Sites Conference. They offered a side trip to a beautiful vineyard and a whole busload of us went. And after the tour, they fed us a gorgeous spread of lush fruits and vegetables and hummus and cheese and meat, bread. Our little group was settled on top of a picnic table where we sampled from each other's plates and fed each other and carried on about every morsel. Here, eat some of this tomato, it's ridiculous. You see, you want this prosciutto, but take a little bite of the cantaloupe first. Oh, God, you're right. It's amazing. Here, you have to have this hummus with a sun-dried tomato. No, put it on the rye bread and wash it down with this, right? It's amazing. Someone said, you must be the group from New Orleans. <laughs> I looked up and people were standing around politely nibbling food like civilized human beings, using their own plates and forks and sitting at the picnic tables instead of on them and drinking from their own wine glasses. Yeah, we're in New Orleans. We commune. We break bread and feed it to you. If we taste something amazing, we can't bear the thought of you not tasting it too. This can make us obnoxious in a fine dining establishment. But you may have noticed that fine dining establishments in New Orleans are loud, raucous places. It's Southern hospitality gone mad. Go mad with us. Why shouldn't everyone have everything their heart's desire. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, is that everybody, Richard? Yes, I think so. That was fantastic. And another embodied experience for listeners who are like, what is this writing marathon? And by now, I'm sure, Richard, um, everyone who's listening wants to book a flight to New Orleans. So are you hosting any open events that people can plan their vacations around? I believe we will be hosting the same kind of uh, New Orleans Running Marathon retreat uh, next year as well, usually at the same time uh, in July. We also uh, have one day uh, left in this particular one. We also... Um, um, hold running marathons uh, during the Tennessee Williams Festival, which is in March, where we usually have three days of marathons. So there are upcoming events in the next year where people could come, and um, uh, I hope they do. All right. Well, first of all, my birthday is in March, so now I know what to ask for for my birthday. <laughs> and secondly, I'm so excited, and secondly, um, so for people who can't get to New Orleans, but they're really uh, excited by your stories and descriptions of this experience, um, what the, would it take uh, for someone to plan one of these in their own backyard? Okay, I'll, um, I'll start with that and then ask others to uh, speak up. Um, I think for someone to plan a writing marathon at their writing project site or at their school would be to, first of all, look at the situation and see what they really want to accomplish with it. Um, uh, is their purpose to build community within a classroom? Is their purpose just to celebrate writing? These are a little bit different. So it's, it's looking at the purpose that you have uh, and then determining how best you want to do it. Um, there's so, so, so much advice I could give. Uh, two immediate pieces are to purchase the Southeastern Louisiana Writing Project's book on writing marathons called The Writing Marathon, colon, in Good Company Reveals. Uh, it is published by Lulu Press, and it contains uh, essays by teachers of writing about how they have done writing marathons in their classroom. And it also contains many pieces of writing marathon uh, writings, all kinds, all genres. 
Second thing is uh, one of our teachers, uh, Ellen Steigman, has written a manual. She's worked on it for years uh, called Writing a Marathon. That, too, is available on Lulu.com. Has everything from how to get your chaperones together, uh, what kinds of preliminary things you need to do and to think about whether you want to do a one-day marathon, a 75-minute marathon, or in her case, essentially, it's almost a school-wide program now. So those two books be very helpful in terms of advice. My one piece of personal advice is it's about the writer and about the writing. And if you don't forget that, and if you don't forget as a teacher to write with your students and to give them as much time to write as possible on a writing marathon, uh, that, that would be the main advice. Uh, uh, not, um, not to worry too much about you must see this famous site or this famous site, but instead letting the students within proper parameters explore, find their path, but always, always, always go back to the writing. That would be my first piece. Could I turn it over to Susan? How would you add to this? Um, I wouldn't add to it. I mean, that's where I send our teachers at Prairieland's Writing Project is to uh, the book from the Southeastern Louisiana Writing Project and to the website also. Lots of great information there. I would also like to add, if there are teachers listening, teacher consultants who have organized writing marathons, we would love to collect your insights and um, you know any data or stories you're willing to share with us. I've got a survey through Google Forms and it's linked to the radio show website. So please log in and tell us all about writing marathons. You've done any kind of marathon in the last five years. We want to hear about it. So fantastic. I, I thought, I'm sorry. No, emphasize what Richard said about if you're a teacher and you want to sit in your classroom writing with your students, uh, it changed the dynamic of my entire classroom when I started doing that. It built trust. It allowed us to go deeper, go somewhere else in our writing that I don't think could have been possible if I hadn't started writing with them. Well, that's lovely. That is a great last word, and yet it might not be. Anything else from the group? Um, I'll, I'll throw in something. I, uh, I love doing writing marathons with the writing project. I love doing them in connection to an event like Tennessee Williams. I love doing them with my own classes, even though they're often only 75 minutes long and the students are just going out on campus. Something I have noticed, which may be a selling point to teachers, is that um, I... When, when I have sent students out on a writing marathon, and I only do that after they have begun to become a community of writers in my classroom, when I send them out, they come back changed. And some of it is the writing. Some of it is just that the teacher allowed them to get outside of the classroom and trusted them to be together and to hold these conversations over writing. Um, and uh, there's a change often. Um, uh, when they come back. And I think that's a reason I've continued to do it in my classrooms, that um, they're all of a sudden on my side as opposed to being my, uh, my opponents or my challenge. And so um, uh, I know it sounds like a big thing for a teacher who hasn't done it to, to think, oh my gosh, I would send them out. And uh, it's worth it for the payback, uh, not just for the payback in their writing, but for the payback in terms of the community that you begin to have on your side as a teacher, which hopefully is what you need. So I'd add that. Nice. Nice. Richard, you can't see me, but I'm looking at you. Is there anything else in that room that we should mine before we uh, thank you for your time? Um, let me do it this way and just nod at each, each person, starting with Tracy and going around and saying, is there any last word about writing marathons that we might want to give this audience? Come to New Orleans next summer. <laughs> Come to New Orleans in March. And if you want to do it yourself, we, we're, we're here as resources as well. I, I can't say enough about it. I went to my first one in 2000, completely changed me as a writer, as a teacher, and as a person. And I've been doing them ever since. Mm. Uh, I would just echo what Tracy said. It's 
completely changed my life and would encourage all teachers to come and um, experience the writing marathon where it was born here in New Orleans. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity, Richard. Uh, I think the experience is absolutely worth it. It has become something that is absolutely necessary for me to share with my students. And um, I think that's why we want to share it with as many people as possible. So um, it's, it's worth it. Get here. Uh, you do become addicted. I. Uh, <laughs> It's, it's transformed my life as a writer and a teacher. I'm happier and so, um, yeah, it's like I can't remember. The only thing I could possibly add to all those comments, I agree with wholeheartedly, would be is this notion that we get stuck in ruts on our own. We find that what works, we just keep running it into the ground. And mm -hmm. I, I think all of us as artists believe in evolution. We believe in the, uh, the benefit of change. But something in a successful process won't enable you to do that. A writing marathon scenario will not allow you to count on sameness. If, if I have, I'm the worst amongst the people at this table of wanting to do the same thing every year and going to the same places, and the city will not allow me to do that. And the writing will not do that. The food won't allow me to do that. My computer will quit on me if I try to, if I try to keep doing it. So, this is an environment that generates change. It generates evolution. And you can't ask for more than that as an artist. I would just say that uh, you, you sometimes get stuck in your writing and it's intimidating, but there's no such thing as bad writing on a writing marathon. Um, mm -hmm. So trust the writing, trust your surroundings, and keep going. It'll be worth it. That about says it for us, I think. I really cannot thank you enough. What a lovely way for me to spend an hour this afternoon and um, what a gift you've given us, the National Writing Project and our listening audience for taking an hour from your week of marathoning to talk to us about it. And, um, and I hope that tomorrow is a great final day. Um, I wish you the best and thank you so much. Thank you, Tony. As we leave you, we'll be going to the Beauregard Kai's house to listen to uh, writers from today read their work for our own radio program. So thank you. Thank you for uh, thank you for helping us spread the word. Ah, it's my pleasure. Uh, enjoy your evening. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye, Tony. Thank you. Bye. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. NWP. NWP.